We're in Advent. It is Advent time here at Living Hope. This is a great time. We love Advent here. It's a little different this year. You know, we're starting off online. But uh, the whole purpose of Advent is still very much alive. Um, If you're not very familiar with Advent, Advent is a season before Christmas to reflect the, what happens at Christmas, the whole purpose of Christmas. So Christmas time is, you know, Jesus uh, coming, God coming incarnate in the sun and him on a mission to save those who have been captive by sin. And so that is what Christmas is all about. Advent is the season to reflect on the coming of Jesus. And so um, with Advent, It's important for us to uh, have these moments of reflection because especially during a pandemic, it's very easy to to be so busy, to be so stressed and to be just overwhelmed that that we kind of forget. You know, we we tend to forget things. I forget everything. I'm always forgetful. And so I need reflections like this to be able to remind my heart of the weight of work that God has gone through to save us. And so it's a, it's a beautiful time, Advent season. And so throughout the Advent season, so from this Sunday on until Christmas Eve and Christmas service, uh, we will be looking at some aspects of Advent um, that, that will cause our heart to reflect on the work of Jesus. And so today we're going to be focusing on the aspect of hope. On the aspect of hope. Um, hello to everyone who is just now joining us. I see Anna has joined us. Hello, Anna and Anne and Deborah. Thank you guys for joining with us today. So again, we're going to be speaking about hope, this idea of hope. Um, hope is necessary. It is something that's absolutely necessary. And even if you're not a Christian, I think we can all agree that we all need hope at least to some extent. Um, Science has even proven that those who are hopeful or have hope in something tend to do better mentally, spiritually. Well, science doesn't record the spiritually, but mentally, physically, and emotionally. They just tend to do better. They make better lifestyle choices. Uh, You know, there's just a lot more positivity in their life when we're hopeful. And science backs that up, that that claim that God has put something in our hearts to hope for something, which is him. Um, But when we look at our culture today, I think it's very clear uh, that at least I don't think that there is anything more prevalent than a need for hope. Uh, I think we're living in one of the most hopeless times, at least in our day, uh, in the last decade. It's just, it's overwhelming, right? And I'm going to read two stats to you uh, from a recent survey that was done by KFF Tracking Poll. Literally 2020, the survey was done. Uh, Two stats. First one, 53% of adults in the U.S. say that their mental health has dramatically declined since the start of the pandemic due to anxiety, depression, and stress. 53%. This next one will will shock you too. 70% of teenagers say that they do not have hope in their future because of the pandemic. 
70% of teens say that they do not have hope. Hello, Joan. In other words, <laughs> just want to say hi to Joan. In other words, over half of the people in our country are feeling entirely hopeless, out of, out of energy, and scared, fearful, and totally on the brink of giving up. Like that's the weight of kind of the moment that we're in right now. Um, and the surveys are kind of showing that to us. And so we need hope. We need a message of hope. Um, but the question is, where do we get it, right? Where do we get true hope? Because the world will try to offer a lot of different types of hope, but not all hope is eternal or substantial, right? There might be some hopes that may last for a little while, but then, you know, they fall off or they fail to cave in or they cave in and fail to live up to the standard of hope. And so where do we find real hope? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to be looking at a prophet named Zephaniah, who in his day, he was probably feeling a lot of what we were fe are feeling today as we're working through pandemic and uh, civil unrest and political tensions and atmosphere, like he probably could relate to us. And so we're going to be looking at um, a message that God gives to him for the people of Israel in his day, but also a message for us in our day. So if you have your Bible, I'm sure you do, turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. Uh, don't be confused with Zechariah. There's a Zechariah and a Zephaniah. Um, if you open your Bible up in the middle, you'll probably hit the Psalms. Just keep going right and uh, past Jeremiah, past Isaiah, past Daniel. And Zephaniah is tucked right between the book of Habakkuk and Haggai. He's a small guy, three chapters, um, and he's right there. So as you guys turn there, we will... We will get a little bit of context first, because I think for us to understand really the message of hope that God gives to Zephaniah, we need to understand first why there's a need for the hope, right? Uh, we need to understand what's going on in his context uh, to really put weight to the hope that God gives to Zephaniah. So Zephaniah was ministering in uh, the time of King Josiah. If you don't know who King Josiah is, maybe after the service or sometime this week, you can go read about him in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. He was a righteous, godly king, one of very few kings that were righteous in Israel's history. Um, he was kind of like the Martin Luther of Israel's early days, right? He led this massive reformation um, like in the 18th year of his reign, where he just brought everyone back to the Lord who were idolatrous and going after other things and were doing crazy things in the temple of God, totally doing all these terrible things, massive reformation, right? But Zephaniah uh, ministered in the time span before that reformation. So in the beginning of his reign, Zephaniah is witnessing all this crazy stuff that's going on, and God gives Zephaniah a message for the, for the people who are unrepentant, rebellious, and want nothing to do with the God, the one true God, Yahweh. 
98% of Zephaniah's book, it's only three chapters, 98% of it is a message of judgment. Fun, right? Judgment and justice because of all the wickedness that's going on in the land. But there's a, the, there's a last 2% of the book, the last half of chapter three, where God gives Zephaniah this hope for the remnant of Israel, the people who are in the midst of that evil, corrupt generation who will not bow their knee to Baal, who will not uh, compromise on their devotion to Yahweh. God gives a message of, of hope for them. And we're gonna look at that message of hope because I believe God wants to speak about, you know, speak it to us today. And so before we read the message of hope, let's get a little bit of uh, insight from Zephaniah as to what type of wickedness was going on during their day. Um, So if you're in your Bible, uh, you'll see chapter three, uh, verses one through four. I'm going to read it really fast. It says this, woe to her, which is speaking to Jerusalem, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. Again, this is talking about Jerusalem. This is talking about Israel. She does not trust the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. He goes on and says, her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. This is is crazy, right? So this is massive wickedness, which it actually doesn't sound that far off from what we see in our day, right? Corruption in the the government officials and uh, the high places, corruption even within the church, uh, pastors, uh, you know, our leaders, corruption with the priests, like, like every, every institution that God had placed and put in order for Israel to be able to flourish, every role, the priesthood, the prophet, the government, all of those good institutions that God had established caved in on themselves because of the sin of the people. And this was a nation with all godly laws and totally like God was their king like caved in on themselves because of corruption. This is the wickedness that Zephaniah is speaking into in his day. Now, he gives a message of hope to the remnant, the people who are not doing that, right? The people who will not uh, succumb to that corruption, he gives a message of hope. Let's read it together in verse 14. And we're going to read all the way through to verse 19. This is what it says. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, which could also be translated Israel. Zion is usually used for Israel or Judah. Sing, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, speaking of a specific day, on that day it shall be said of Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, 
a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those who mourn for the festival so that they will no longer suffer reproach. Verse 19, behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast and I will change their shame to praise. Man, this is a, this is a message of hope right here. This is, I mean, it's 2% of the judgment message, but it is a message of hope. And I believe God gives Zephaniah three reasons for hope in his time of hopelessness, but also for our time where it feels really hopeless right now. He gives three things that I think will help us to have some hope in this time of Advent. First thing, he says, God is in your midst, right? God is in your midst. In verse 15, right? He says, the true and better king is in your midst. Now, this hope is kind of twofold. So he's giving hope, but this, what he's talking about is not happening right now. In, in their time, right? They're not experiencing what he is saying right here. It's looking forward towards a certain day. He says in that time, in that day, and then he's giving all of these promises and these beautiful things, right? Um, but there's also some promises in there that apply to them right there. Like he's saying, God is rejoicing over you. That's something that never changes for God's people. Um, so, This is speaking to the messianic age. This is speaking to when Jesus comes, he's going to establish his rule and reign. And when he establishes his rule and reign, there will be no more fear. And that's speaking like towards the end, eschatologically, all the way towards when Jesus comes back and he reigns uh, on the earth, literally. But there's some good application that we can use here. God is in our midst. He is in our midst. And I think that this, kind of blows over our head if we, I mean, because we hear this often, right? Um, If you've grown up in the church, if you've been a Christian a long time, we hear things like God never leaves you. Uh, You know, you're not alone. Uh, God is here. God is there with you, which is all true, right? Um, But this word in your midst is a very specific phrasing. Um, It doesn't just say God is there, right? It says that God is in your midst. It's a Hebrew word that means to be in the middle, to be right in between or among. Um, It's a very specific presence that God provides for his people. So generally, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He could be at all places at all times. That's the general presence of God. But for his people, he provides a very special closeness that is only reserved for his people. Being me and you, if we believe in Jesus, those who believe in Jesus, this in your midst presence. Um, This idea of being in the midst is not uh, not new in the Bible, right? It's all throughout the entire Bible. And if you want kind of another picture of this in your midst kind of presence, 
Uh, if you go to Matthew 18, Jesus says what well, a very common phrase where he says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. That's the same Greek transliteration of the word that's used here in their midst. So Jesus is literally saying, when two or three are gathered, I am right there in between, in the middle of them. And if we look through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we see that this is a consistent characteristic of God and his people. Um, if you go back to the garden, right? God is with Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden. That's that word. If you go to the time of Moses, he's in the midst of his people by the tabernacle, right? This big tent place where the people would come and gather and they would worship and sacrifice, right? That was right in between all of the camps of Israel, right in the middle. And then you move into the monarchy. Solomon builds God, build, build, builds God a temple where that replaces the tabernacle. So it's a permanent, you know, right there when they receive the land of promise, God establishes the temple. I am right there in the midst. And then in the time of Jesus, Jesus comes and Jesus dwells among the people. God dwells among the people in their midst through his son. And we see that in John chapter 1, in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is tabernacled. So quite literally, Jesus is tabernacling among the people. He is in the middle of their people. And when we come and we believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, tabernacles in us. So quite literally, and then, you know, eschatologically, God establishes, you know, a new city where he will dwell in the midst. This is, this is not inconsistent with anything who, of who God is. Like he has always been in the midst of his people. And I think this is encouraging. And it's a reason to hope because it means that not only are we not alone, but God is near to us in a very specific way a very intentionally relational way that we're not totally aware of, right? We don't necessarily feel it because uh, we, don't, we don't see it. We don't see him like that, but he is nearer to us than we think. Brother Lawrence is a 17th century French monk. He was also a dishwasher. Uh, he wrote a book called The Practice of the presence of God. It's a fascinating book. It's one of my favorite. I encourage you to read it. It's a small little thing. But in the book, he says this regarding God's nearness. And take this to heart and think about this. He says this, lift up your heart to him, sometimes even at your meals and when you're in company. Listen to this. The least little remembrance will always be acceptable to him. You need not cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we are aware of. Isn't that beautiful? That's just like, it brings this perspective that like, you know, sometimes we, we, we in emotion, we cry out to God as if he's far away. And Brother Lawrence is saying, you know, you don't have to cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we think he is. That's an encouragement and a reason to hope in this time. Because even when we don't feel like God is near, his word says he is in our midst to the very core of who we are. Like not just, 
in our country, in the midst of our country, or in the midst of our churches. He's in the midst of even who you are, in the midst of you. And that's encouragement. That's a reason to hope right there. The next thing, the next reason that God gives Zephaniah for hope is he says something really beautiful here. He says, in other words, God delights in us. God delights in you. He literally says this, and we don't hear this often when we think of God, right? He says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Okay, if you read in other translations, it literally translates the word exult to dance. So in other words, you can kind of say, God sings and he dances over you. That is crazy. Like we don't think of God like this at all. Like usually we think of God as like a stiff neck kind of you know, up there, you know, watching when we mess up and next time we mess up, you know, emotionless. Like, but Zephaniah is trying to communicate something very important here. God delights in his people. And Zephaniah is uh, apocalyptic literature. So he uses very vivid imagery that isn't always taken literally. So I don't know for certain if God is up there, you know, doing the moonwalk or something like dancing over us like, like that. I mean, maybe he is, probably. But I think really what Zephaniah is trying to communicate is that God is literally moved by emotion for you. Like, like in emotion, he is moved. Like, like to, to move, in his emotion because of you. He's emotionally invested in us. You could think of it kind of like this. I don't have kids, but I know a lot of you guys do. So think of it as like if one of your kids is in a sport, like does sports, right? You're at the game and uh, you see your child, they're doing really well and they are like about to score or something and they're going in and they're falling, they're messing up, they're doing whatever but you're like cheering them on like big time, even when they're like not doing the best. You're cheering them on. And when they come after the game, you're like, great job, awesome. Like you did the best you could ever do. That is amazing. That is being moved to by emotion. And that's kind of the picture that happens with God where he's moved in, in his like feelings and emotions for us to the point of moving and, and rejoicing and joying over us. It's a beautiful picture that I don't think we often think about when we think about God. Now, this isn't to say that God is happy with the suffering that we're going through. Uh, it's not to say that God is okay with the sin that we tolerate. That, that's not what this is saying. Like God is still grieved by our sin. He's still grieved by suffering. He's still brokenhearted when we suffer or when we are anxious or when we are broken or when we're overwhelmed to the point of being crushed. That grieves God's heart. It makes him sad. But what he's saying here, what he's trying to communicate is God is 
so confident in the work that he is going to do. For like speaking specifically to Israel, he's, he's so confident in the work of the Messiah. He's so confident that the work he is going to accomplish when Jesus comes, that it moves him to sing and dance over the people that he's going to deliver. And for us who are living in that messianic age where we are on the other side of the cross, where we've come and we've believed in Jesus, we've repented of our sin, we're devoted to him. This means that even though we are in a grievous time, uh, we may be grieving in our own hearts, we may be overwhelmed, we may be even sad. And God is grieved by that. But he is singing and he has moved to huge emotional investment towards you because of what Jesus is accomplishing in your heart. He sees the finished work of Jesus in you. He sees the whole thing, the whole span, all the way to the very end when you are perfected and glorified. He sees all of it and it moves him to dance and sing and rejoice over you, which is encouraging because I think sometimes we don't feel like that, you know? Like we mess up, we screw up again and again and again and we drop the ball and we often feel like, man, I, I don't know if God likes to be with me. You know, I don't know if God likes to be with us, with all the corruption going on and with all this stuff going on. Like, does God like to be with us? And this is why this is encouraging. Because God does not have to be in our midst. Meaning, he is not obligated to dwell with us. No one, like, no one is forcing his hand to dwell with us. He's not dwelling with us out of obligation or duty or because he has to or he's begrudgingly, you know, forgiving us this time again or he's not begrudgingly being with us even though we mess up and we, and we fail. That's not, that's not God. He wants to be with us. He delights to dwell with us. He delights to be in our midst. That means that every time we fall short, every time we fall uh, into a deep, anxious pit, or we fall into despair, and we choose to trust in Jesus, even though we don't feel like things are getting better, or I don't feel any better, or we choose to repent from that sin that we went back to, God rejoices over that moment. He is, he is rejoicing over that moment of trust and repentance He's rejoicing over it because he's seeing his work be accomplished in us. And that's encouraging for us in this time. The third thing, the third thing, the reason, third reason that God gives to Zephaniah, and I think this is a really important one, God rescues us. He rescues us, right? Right? Zephaniah says in verse 19 that God saves his people. He says, I will gather the lame. I will gather the outcast. This is such a beautiful picture of Jesus. Like it points directly to Jesus. I think of Jesus meeting the people who are lame. I think of Jesus who literally gathers the outcast. Like he got flack from it, from the religious leader saying, why are you with 
those people. They're outcasted, the lepers and the prostitutes and the thieves and all the other people. Why are you hanging out with them and having dinner with them? Jesus gathered them, fulfilling this. I will gather the outcast. I think of a story in Luke 23. It's one of my favorite moments at the crucifixion. Um, In Luke 23, there's this moment uh, where there are two thieves who are getting crucified next to Jesus, right? Two thieves. One of them is really arrogant and he's mocking and and spitting craziness at Jesus, saying like, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the Christ? Why don't you save yourself? And then while you're at it, save me. Save me. The other thief speaks against that thief and says, what are you talking about? We deserve this. He has done nothing wrong. And he looks at Jesus and says something I'll never forget. I remember the first time I read this, I broke down in tears because I just remember thinking like, this is, this is where I'm at right now, Lord. And maybe this is where a lot of you guys are at. Maybe if you don't know Jesus or you feel like you're slipping away, he says, God, Jesus, would you just remember me when you come into your kingdom? Please, just, just remember me if you could when you come into your kingdom. He knew Jesus was God. He knew that Jesus being crucified on that cross was not the end of his uh, life. This thief knew very well his sin, his brokenness. He knew very well what he deserved. You and I are that thief. You and me are that thief on a cross. We deserve that death. Jesus looks to this thief and says, today, you will be with me in my kingdom. This thief never went to a single church service, not a single synagogue as far as we know, didn't raise his hand, didn't do any altar call, didn't say any prayer. He just admitted his guilt and his deserving of death and admitted that Jesus is God. And Jesus forgave him on the spot and justified him and said, when I die, you are going to be with me in my kingdom. That is encouraging. That is the grace that we have. And that's the work that Advent points to when, when God is incarnate in Jesus and he lives perfectly and dies and resurrects on a cross or doesn't resurrect on the cross, but dies on the cross and resurrects. That's the work that this is looking forward to. That's the work that Zephaniah's, is looking, Zephaniah's promise is looking forward to. And this is why this is encouraging. For us who believe in Jesus, God, had, God did that justification one time. It's not repeated. God does not have to justify you over and over and over and over and over again. He doesn't have to do that with us. It's a one-time thing, the book of Hebrews says, once and for all. But every day, God rescues us. This is what I mean. When we are in hard times, like the moment we're in right now, and we're saved, right? We're, we're Christians. We're devoted to Jesus. We love Jesus. We, we want our life to reflect him. We want to 
honor him in this time, but I just feel so crushed by this moment. In that moment, we often either convince ourselves unknowingly or we believe the lie that the enemy speaks to us that God is not powerful enough to save us right now. And then we, we get into this place where we feel like God doesn't care, right? Because, because he's not taking us out of this moment. He's not doing something here that looks like salvation in this moment. But the reality is, is that God dealt with our biggest problem. Our biggest issue is not COVID. COVID is a really big issue. The pandemic is a massive issue, but it is not the biggest issue. The biggest issue that plagues humankind is sin. We could get rid of COVID and every disease. And if we still have sin, we have the worst pandemic going on right then and there. God dealt with that. He dealt with that. And if God has dealt with that big issue, the biggest issue that we have, we can be sure that God will not abandon us or forsake us in this issue and the other issues that are going to come up because after COVID, it will be another thing. You know, after those things, it'll be another thing. We live in a broken and fallen world. And this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not a one-time thing. It's not only for people who don't believe in Jesus, but it is for us as believers every day. The gospel, we need it every day. Not because we need to be saved every day, but because we need to be reminded that we're saved every day because we will forget, we'll get overwhelmed, we'll get stressful, we'll get condemned by our heart. All of these things will play and try to convince us that God is not doing something, that God did something wrong, that God, that God regrets saving us, or, or that God doesn't actually like being with me, or maybe I'm just too far this time. I love Jesus, but I don't know. This speaks against that. This says, no, God saved you once and for all, and he is with you. And every day, he's going to give you the gospel to remind you that he is a God who saves. He gathers the outcast, he gathers the lame, and he loves them like sheep in his hands and in his arms. And that is our hope. God has provided the utmost hope in the gospel. And we have that hope every single day. And that is the purpose of Advent, to remind us to reflect on the gospel, right? To intentionally get our hearts to reflect on the gospel, like, man, okay, God came. Why did he come? To save me. How did he do it? He suffered for me. It, it, it brings us back. It, it brings us back and gives us some perspective as to, man, God is working. He is working in the midst of all this stuff going on. Yeah, I may be sick. Yeah, I may really be stressed out right now. But that doesn't mean that God is not working. He's rejoicing and he is joying over you, singing loudly songs of deliverance over you because of the work that was accomplished on the cross of Jesus. And that is a hope that we can hold on to, to persevere through this time, 
That is the hope that he's given to us to help us endure any, any pandemic, any hard time, anything, whatever it is. So in closing, let's just go back and remember the three hopes, the three reasons for hope. One, God is in our midst. He is literally in the middle of our situation, whatever it is, pandemic, country stuff, wickedness, deception, and your personal struggle with sin, with circumstances, with whatever the case may be, God is in the midst. He is in the middle of that. The second thing, he delights to be with us. He enjoys being with you. He's not doing it begrudgingly. He loves to be in our midst. He wants it. And the third thing is God rescues us. Not only the first time when we believed in Jesus, but every single day he continues to rescue us from our self-condemning heart. Our, uh, our habit of making light of the work that was accomplished on the cross. Every day he saves us from that. And every day he invites us into that reflection to be able to, to, to remember where we were before Jesus, and that right now, even in the midst of this fire, literally, <laughs> I feel like you know everything's burning to the ground. <laughs> you know, in the midst of that, that is still a better place than where you were before. That is like right now, if you're saved, if you believe in Jesus, even if you are stressed and overwhelmed, and there's a pandemic going on, this is still a better place than where you were without Jesus, because without Jesus, you were actually dead. And right now you are alive and the COVID and the pandemic can never steal that life. It is eternal. And so I'm going to pray and uh, I encourage you guys to go to the YouTube channel or go to YouTube and look up a worship song, a worship playlist, have a time of worship and sit with God's word because, man, I man, when I read that, it was just so encouraging, like, God is singing and dancing like he's not worried about what's going on right now. I'm worried. <laughs> I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I, I'm fearful, but God isn't. He's rejoicing over the work he's doing in the midst of this stuff. So as we leave, let us remember those things and let us be encouraged as we go on with our week. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the work that you are doing in the people of our church, in their families, Thank you, Lord, that you are not swayed by the things that sway us. Thank you that you are not overwhelmed by the things that overwhelm us. And that is a beautiful thing because that means we can rely on you to stable us, to be our rock, to be our firm foundation. So Lord, I pray, God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, encourage every single person who's listening right now of the firm foundation that they have in Jesus. And if people are listening and they don't believe in Jesus, I pray, God, that you would convict their hearts to step onto that firm foundation and stop walking in quicksand. We thank you, Lord, for the work of the gospel, for the coming of your son, Jesus. We reflect on that. And we leave here, we go out into our weeks, whatever that looks like, 
encouraged by the hope that we have in you. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, and we say all of this in your mighty name. Amen.